0: Hello, welcome to One Week Coleman. I'm Connor, and today we're talking about the new indie film, The Vast of Night. This is pretty crazy because I first saw the film over a year ago at the 2019 Slam Dance Film Festival, where it was a big hit, everyone was talking about it. And I'm so happy it's been picked up by Amazon and is coming to Amazon Prime uh, this Friday. But if you live in certain parts of the country, you've been able to see it via uh, drive-in cinemas, including just outside of Los Angeles at the Mission Tiki Drive-In in Montclair. Uh, It's been a really cool idea that the film, this uh, sci-fi movie set in a small town in the 50s, uh, who start getting a strange sound over the radio, uh, very kind of Twilight Zone-esque setup, Uh, is very appropriate to have a drive-in release. And uh, I was lucky enough to go out there myself with Carlos, and we checked it out in a drive-in. And I think it's a really cool idea, and I hope you all, if you are able to go see a drive-in, definitely do that but if you can't, don't worry. It is going to be on Amazon prime this week. And it's one of the really cool discoveries of independent cinema, uh, of last few years. It's, it's, uh, it definitely harkens back to classic stories of science fiction, but it's told with really snappy, uh, fun dialogue. It's got these incredibly long uh, tracking shots through the town. It's got a great sense of tension and and mystery about it. Um, and it's it's a really fun, inventive, and uh, you know, fascinating and exciting debut from a new filmmaker, Andrew Patterson. So I was very happy to talk to one of the producers of the film, Melissa Kirkendall, about how she came on board the film, uh, how they pulled this off for so little money, and what it felt like to be such a you know a success story in the independent film world with this movie. So here's my interview with producer Melissa Kirkendall.
1: Melissa Kirkendall and I'm that producer.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here, Melissa. Um, First of all, let's go back to um, uh, what attracted you to the script for The Vast of Night. What was about the project that said you wanted to be part of it?
1: So um, I was introduced to the the script by another producer and um, uh, Eric Williams, and I, first of all, I just loved it. Like it was, it was. an unusual script, and well-written, uh, joy to read, all that stuff, and I didn't know who Andrew Patterson was, and then after I met him, I mean, there was definitely some stuff in the script that I was curious about how he was going to pull it off, and when I met him, it didn't take very long to realize that he is an out-of-the-box kind of person, and 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 he was a hard-working director, too, like, he wasn't one of those 1st directors that doesn't quite understand what all they need to do to get prepared um, for the shoot. He was he was very very um, active in prep, and and then for the shoot, you know, he was great to work with. So,
0: yeah. Was there any hesitation? Things you were worried about specifically about working with a first time director?
1: Well, I'll, whenever you're working with a first time director, I mean, everybody's got to you know get started somewhere, and what I mean by that is like, I mean, it's not like
0: he had. Ne- he had been doing commercials sure okay and that's pretty typical um,
1: but shooting a commercial is much much different than shooting a feature film and a lot of times commercials don't have big crews and you know and you don't have necessarily a sag to deal with and like so it's a whole different thing and and a lot of times uh, first-time directors although they may be extremely talented and maybe their DP is too but if they both came out of that world, and don't have an understand of the nuances of film making, and how um, you just have to be prepared, and you have to make choices, and sometimes you have to, while you're shooting, make choices and revisions because of all kinds of things that happen. That isn't quite the same as when you're doing a commercial, you know, and and that wasn't. Andrew was really, really good about that stuff. One, he really, really prepared. And, and then, um, so that eased up some of my reservations. And, um, and then in terms of, like, the big one is always time. You know, like, if uh, first-time directors a lot of times um, have a harder time meeting their days and for all kinds of reasons, and then you can start running into overtime. And even if you're willing to pay your crew you're gonna wear out your crew, especially mm. on a indie indie low budget. So um, he was really good about when we started getting tight on time for stuff. The big thing with him was just you just need to communicate with him, you know, which is what you want in a director. And um, and yeah, and so we were able to, to get it done and, and on time. And I don't remember if we ever went over time the entire shoot, maybe one day. So
0: And one of the kind of defining parts of the film is these long tracking shots, so so much of the film with these beautiful, intricate, uh, long takes. Was that always part of the the project, and how difficult was it to pull those off?
1: That was always in his mind, and it was extremely difficult to pull off, (laughs) and that is like, I mean, everybody that that was working was definitely a part of that, but it really was him and um, Marcus and Caleb who spent... all all their free time like when so we were shooting all at night obviously if you watch the film Mm -hmm. and so during the day uh they would get up like not crazy early but they'd get up early enough to go out and work on the what needed to be done in order to make those shots work and that was preparing the the ground that you see you know the 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 shot go over to you know just how things looked and and then on their day off we shot six day weeks On their one day off, they would go out at night and then test what they had done. And uh, and until we got to that point, I can't remember what day of the schedule it was, but it was towards the end. I'm pretty certain it was like the last week, maybe. But um, so yeah, that was and that was a that that was those were difficult shots for sure. But like I say, I really, really, it was those guys being dedicated. Oh yeah, and there's another guy, Nathan Price. He was involved too. They they worked their tails off um, working out the kinks and testing that until it looked right. So that on the day when we shot it, which was still difficult, um, it went a lot smoother. Like we might not have, if they hadn't done all that extra work, I don't know that that we would have pulled it off in one day. So.
0: Yeah. And then the actors, of course, the, so much the film they have to do it all in one take. So how was that rehearsal process? Did you have much time to rehearse with them and prepare before shooting?
1: Yeah, so he worked with the actors for um, I think a week, maybe it was two weeks, but I, I remember specifically a week. Um, they came in early and um, we set up a switchboard in um, in Sierra's room, and she practiced mm. doing a switchboard, and then uh, the radio, you know, uh, tape reel to reel. Uh, jake practiced with that and so yeah they actually did a lot of rehearsal and practice and working with with andrew um you know the sets were being built while they were rehearsing so it was sort of one of those where they had to rehearse in the hotel room or you know other kind of where we were off scene or whatever um up until you know the sets were ready and um they both i mean i think nailed it they both do such an incredible job
0: Definitely, yeah. Now, the, the, the film is set in kind of this small town in the 1950s. So how much of that was a real town that you found? How much did you have to build or recreate?
1: Um, well, so the majority of it was shot in Whitney, Texas, which is a real town.
0: Hmm.
1: And it's right next to Hillsboro, Texas, which is also a real town. Whitney is super small. I'm not sure what the population there is, but the street that uh, you see Faye walk down and, and Jake um, walk down is pretty much the, the majority of what their downtown is just oh, wow. that one street. So, I mean, there's like maybe, maybe one more street, maybe two. So it's that small of a town. And uh, the people in both of those towns and Hillsborough is a bit bigger, but um, the people in both of those towns were just wonderful. Just rolled out the red carpet for us. And we were able to turn Whitney for the downtown area, turn Whitney into Cayuga for the shoot and then uh, Hillsboro, just different pieces of it that we needed for various things and then even the gymnasium was also in Whitney, Texas. Ah. And that's a that's an old gym that was actually from that era, but the the floor had to be redone because the floor had been had been updated mm. and no longer looked like the way uh floor would look Back then, but I mean, it was like authentic to the point of no air conditioning. And the night that we had to film the big crowd scene in there, it was like mid-September, and we had this. It had been cold, and then all of a sudden, we had this horrible heat wave come through. Oh no! And it was so unbelievably hot in there, and everybody's dressed like it's winter, you know, with for basketball. So um, just kind of one of those weird look at the draw things that happens in filmmaking. But all the extras, you know, were were troopers about it. And as, as were the crew, of course, and the basketball team. And that's a real those – are, those are real basketball – high school basketball players um, that uh, came in from
0: from uh, Austin. And are the town um, people – the local residents, are they extras in the movie or are they from other places?
1: Um, a lot of them were, were locals. You know, we, we did a, a, a town um, casting, you know, background extras call. In the area of Whitney and Hillsboro, which isn't too far from Waco, so we reached out as far as Waco. But then we did also have like extras that came in. Uh, we had a casting uh, extras casting director who um, did a casting call for the state, and we had people drive in from Dallas and Austin, and honestly, I don't even know where else. Uh, you know, in Texas, uh, sometimes people get excited about stuff like that, and they come in from all over. But mm. you know, cause there was about 400 extras in that scene. So and I would say at least 100 of them were, were from the people in the area.
0: And there's also so much, since it's the 50s, there's so much period uh, uh, details like the switchboard, the, the radio station. Did, those have to, did you have to scour places to find those, or those all built from scratch?
1: Um, those were real. And uh, those were found between our production designer, who's also another, another producer on the project, Adam Dietrich, and um, Andrew. Patterson, our director, the two of them, um, you know, but I mean, Andrew had been like thinking before we ever even got into the picture, he was already doing mm. research and figuring out what, what he wanted to do. Him and, uh, um, one of his guys actually found the town before we were in the picture. So they had some stuff kind of on the line and then there happened to be some great, um, antique stores in those two towns that we were able to, rent and borrow and buy um and uh and even some of the the old cars that you see were also townspeople um but there was actually several cars that came in from dallas as well
0: now the film premiered at the slam dance film festival and then was picked up by amazon um how was your experience you know with uh, with festivals and then distribution was it a challenge to get it out there or were people immediately interested in the film
1: I mean, we're like that—that that dream story that every fil- <laughs> indie filmmaker wants to hear about. Seriously, at least it sounds that way. And and I, I don't want to diffuse too much of it, but I also want filmmakers to know the reality. You know, we worked our butts off to get it to some to get it ready to be able to premiere, right? Whether mm-hmm. it was going to be Slamdance dance or, or wherever. And then um, when we premiered at slam dance, uh, the buzz just got out really quickly, and people were crossing the street. There's all kinds of like blurbs and, and write-ups of uh, people saying like, you know, people would come up to us and say, I never go over to Slam dance, but everybody <laughs> in Sundance is telling me I have to see your movie. I mean, I had a programmer uh, at a, a networking event that I went to for like Femme Fatale or something like that, saw my badge and was like, oh my God, I want to go to your movie so bad. And I look at his badge and he's like one of the feature programmers. And I was like, sure, <laughs> you can probably figure that out, <laughs> you know, because I think it was already sold out. But so so we honestly you know afterwards there was we were approached by a ton of um, sales and marketing reps and we were you know had a lot of interest from different distributors um, and uh, out of out of slam dance we engaged with endeavor content and then endeavor content um, helped get it to the where we landed with Amazon, but Amazon, it wasn't, we didn't, it wasn't like Amazon was our only choice. We, and I'm not going to talk about anybody sure. else, but there were other interested parties that were, that were other distributors that you would be happy to be with. But Amazon, we just felt like was going to give us the best, um, opportunity and deal and treatment. And plus we all like their platform and, and the fact that we're, you know, interested in doing theatrical, you know, first, um, all that resonated with us, so
0: definitely. Um, and now it is getting theatrical through drive-in theaters. Was that always part of the plan, or did that come about because of the the shutdown?
1: You know, I don't, I don't know that it was always part of the plan. I mean, it wasn't like originally. We just talked about it being uh, released, you know, a, a medium to wide release and theatrical uh, release. But then COVID nineteen happened, all the theaters shut down. And, um, we were all talking about it. And then the next thing you know, Amazon lets us know that we're doing drive-ins. So I don't know, you know, honestly, like, um, yeah, I mean, now that it's in Amazon's hands and I'm busy on like, you know, other projects, mm. I haven't been too involved in some of that decision-making except when I'm called on, you know, and like, sure. we all love the idea. Like as soon as the drive-in idea was was brought up to us we were like yeah it's the perfect movie for a drive-in oh my god <laughs> so um it was it was an easy like hell yes that's what
0: we should do so yeah i, I went and saw it again uh, this weekend at the mission tiki drive-in here in california and it was it was really fun to see it. it felt perfectly at home in a drive-in yeah
1: Cool, cool. How did it look? I'm just curious, because with it being so dark, the drive and I went to, had a, there were some issues with that,
0: but... Oh, yeah, uh, but, oh, it always there's a drive, and there's always going to be headlights coming on and off, but yeah. that's also in some ways, you know, part of the charm of it, and hopefully they'll see it again on Amazon.
1: Yeah, exactly. I know that's what, you know, I I took a friend of mine that came out and helped us one weekend for free, that she's not a film person, we just need some extra bodies, and so she came out and helped while we were filming and and uh she's British and she's never been to a drive in. Ah. So So <laughs> she went and she like was like, know, oh, it's still really cool to listen to it and I can't wait to see it on Amazon. And I was like, Yes, that's the
0: reaction
1: I hope everybody has.
0: <laughs> sure. So. so what are you working on now after this after this film?
1: So I've been in production on a documentary, a passion project. Um for two years now and COVID nineteen has totally thrown a wrench into it. But it's based in Ecuador and I obviously I can't travel back to Ecuador to do mm. any more filming right now. So I'm working on we shot forty hours of footage last year. And so I'm working with um an editor right now to create a short out of that just to have something mm. in the meantime. Plus it's gotten some interest from like EarthX films and some other, you know, notable type stuff. It's kinda like a humanitarian environmentally conscious piece so it works with stuff like that and then and then development on a couple of um scripted features and then i'm on a no hold hold for a script for based on true events scripted feature that's supposed to be shooting up in dallas whenever we're allowed and um you know we don't know when that's going to be i know the state of texas is is not allowing film permits yet Mm. and um so I suspect it may be like August or September before we get to do that. So staying busy. I mean, that's, you know, the big thing is like, I talked to peers of mine that I'm just like, now's the time to like, I'm doing work on your passion project, write a script. If that's your thing, you know, or whatever, you know, like brush up. I've been watching some of the, um, stuff on Sundance Institute, you know, just for inspiration. And, um, yeah. But as soon as like as soon as it's ready, as soon as we're ready to move forward, for me, I have a feeling I'm going to be I just have a feeling I'm going to be slammed. I think everybody <laughs> is. I think the whole industry is.
0: No, yeah. Obviously this this year has been turned upside down with COVID-19, but do you feel the film business is, is going to be able to rebound uh maybe you know later this year or next year?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think yes. I absolutely think it'll rebound because I think for two reasons. One, people people love movies. And right now, everybody's watching all the content available. So come this fall, people are going to be hungry for new, good content. Not just any content, but good content. I think that's actually a valuable thing for indie filmmakers to be thinking about. And what I've been telling friends of mine, I'm like, now is the time to be working on out- That's why I'm making a short, you know, because if that looks good, then I might be able to get a little more money to finish the feature. And, you know, because people are going to be looking for content. But, um and then also, you know, why I'm also, I've got a couple of scripts that are in development that we're right now talking to investors about. And so I think that's going to be happening. I, and and then also um, uh, film people were, we're
0: <laughs> how do
1: I want to say it? <laughs> We're sadomasochist, or I don't know, like, you know what I mean? Like, we're driven to create and do this work, Mm. you know, and so we're not going, I think there's going to be some people that are probably going to, you know, be like, you know what, that just about did me in, made me broke, and they're going to bail and move, move on. But I look at that as that just makes room for some of the the newer people to the industry who um, are hungry and and want to get down and dirty and start making some stuff, so but I, I do think it's going to come back. I think it's going to be challenging. Um, and cause I, I, the restrictions that are going to be put on, um, films in the future, at least for a while are going to be challenging, you know, financially as well as logistically. Um, and those two things go hand in hand, you know, if the logistics are more complicated, probably means more money. And, um, that's going to scare off some people, I think, for investing, and um, I don't know, you know, the people that are investing in films, some of them, if they haven't really done it much before, maybe this is going to scare them off, but then maybe it's also, too, going to make them inspired to want to, for sure, get involved now, you know? I don't know, but but I think it'll come back. Like, I, I'm always a, a glasses-half-full kind of person anyways, so um i just think it's like anything um we just have to see how it unfolds and and figure out how to make it work you know whatever that means for for each person
0: well i certainly hope it does bounce back very soon thank you so much for uh talking with us today and i uh hope everyone checks out the film either in drive-in or on amazon prime this month
1: yes me too And, and people that check it out Find us on Facebook and and message us and let us know about your experience. We love reading that stuff.
0: So that was my interview with producer Melissa Kirkendall about the new movie, The Vast of Night. Like I said, it'll be coming to Amazon Prime this week. But if you can, definitely check it out in a drive-in cinema if you live in Los Angeles or various states across the country. But either way, uh, it's a a must-see. It's super fun, exciting. You know, uh, watch it. Late at night with lights off, popcorn, and it's a terrific indie film for all to enjoy. That's all we have for this episode of One Week Only. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Give us a like or a share or retweet. We'd love to hear what you're doing and hope you're staying safe out there. Um, We know it's a difficult time right now for everyone involved in the film industry, from filmmakers to film distributors to uh, theaters but we hope we're all staying safe and are able to open up in a safe way very soon but hang in there all of you we we love movies and we can't wait to talk about more as soon as we can but uh, find all of our episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud and uh, thank you so much for listening until next time I'm Connor stay safe